Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. When the Institute of Medicine defined healthcare quality, patient-centeredness was one of the five core dimensions. Yet, as many have noted, the health system often seems to be organized more around the needs of providers than patients. This reality is particularly true when it comes to older Americans. An entire system of coverage and care has built up around institutional needs and institutional definitions, nursing homes, hospitals, assisted living centers, rehabilitation centers, and more. So what would a reimagined health system truly designed around the needs of older patients look like? That is the topic of this episode of A Health Podacy. Today, I am speaking with Christine Ritchie, Professor of Medicine and Director of Research in the Division of Palliative Care and Geriatric Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Ritchie and her co-author, Bruce Leff of Johns Hopkins University, published a commentary paper in the May 2022 issue of Health Affairs describing the elements of a new home and community-based care ecosystem for older people. They argue for a system grounded in principles like respect for caregivers and medical and social integration. We'll discuss the system and what it will take to get there in today's episode. Dr. Ritchie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here, Alan. I'm looking forward to this conversation because you set forth a vision. And so much in healthcare is sort of incremental. What could we do to tweak here or there? You lay out a vision for what you call a care delivery ecosystem focused on home and community. So before we talk about what the system looks like, I'm interested in your choice of the word ecosystem. What does it mean to have an ecosystem and what does it mean to focus on home and community? Great question, Alan. And uh, let me just uh, back up and say that when we think about ecosystems, we've learned a lot from other communities outside of healthcare, and they really were the ones that started with this definition, which they've put out to set out to really say being a set of capabilities and services that integrate value sort of across a common service model and with a data backbone. And the idea is to sort of improve efficient care, uh, improve stakeholder experiences, and really just to reduce inefficiencies. So in healthcare, when we think about ecosystems, we're really talking about delivering personalized and integrated care to patients, improving clinician productivity, engaging caregivers, and enhancing healthcare value. So when we think about ecosystems, I often think about things like Airbnb or Amazon Fresh. These are these are systems that they have services that are integrated. They provide them efficiently. They have a data backbone. And why not apply the same sort of frame to healthcare and particularly to healthcare in the home? So that's a great way to think about it. Um, I have to ask if you were to describe today's ecosystem for older adults, what name would you give it or what elements would you use as the characteristics of that ecosystem? Uh, Sadly, it is hardly integrated and it is not efficient, definitely not person-centered or caregiver-centered. It tends to be fragmented. We have all kinds of different home care services that are providing different kinds of care, often without communicating with each other. 
definitely not woven into any kind of coordinated web of home-based care that thinks about both longitudinal care and episodic care and weaves them together when they're needed at the right time, all aligned with patient values. Okay, so this is where like moving from vision to reality is complicated. And what I'd like to do as we have this conversation is to uh, tease out, if I can, what are some of the key elements of the vision, but also sort of what does that really look like? Like how would that look different to a patient or to a caregiver, since as you noted, that's really how the system is designed. The one element, you mentioned efficiency, in the paper you describe sort of a system that's distributed, but decisions may still be centralized. I thought that was a little bit of a puzzle. Can you help me with that puzzle? So thinking sort of big picture about what we're talking about here, really thinking about a future where care is where people want it to be. And most people want their care in the home. They don't particularly like hanging out in the emergency department for eight to 10 hours or in the hospital where they, they can't run to the refrigerator and get you know a glass of water. So our vision would be that in the future, the hospital becomes really one big emergency department, operating room, and intensive care unit, and everything else really is provided in the home and community. So primary care in the home, urgent care in the home, rehab in the home, all of those things in an integrated way where the logistics work and where there's coordination, warm handoffs and efficiencies. So when I'm talking about sort of a distributed model, the way I think about this is sort of like a conductor in an orchestra. You have to have a conductor and yet all of the instruments in the orchestra are important. They're important at different parts of the symphony. And so knowing when it's important for the oboes to be playing or the woodwinds versus when the violins and the trumpets, that's what we want. We want to have something where everybody knows their lines on the page, they're integrated and they're working together in a way that still has a vision, still has oversight, but where there's really much more interconnection and intercommunication. Well, as someone who played oboe in high school, that uh, metaphor works very well for me. I like that idea. And I, I think it does give a very clear sense of the need for coordination, but also distributed action. Um, now, as you describe in the paper, there are guiding principles, and then there's sort of features. I don't want to walk through the whole paper. If someone wants that, uh, they'll, they'll read it, and I hope they, they do. But uh, you do have some guiding principles that I think need to be stated in order to have a good conversation about where this vision would take us. Um, can you just say what those are to get us started? So we have essentially seven guiding principles. First, person-centered care. We have to be focused on the person who's receiving the care and it's tailored to their specific needs and their specific values. Second, and Alan, you alluded to this already, respect for and attention to caregivers. They can't be left out in the cold without support. We have to have competent clinicians and providers who are part of a trusted team um, oftentimes a primary care team who are really serving at the center of the care, oftentimes that conductor we were talking about. There has to be continuous 24-7 access to care. People can't just only be able to receive services when it's convenient for us during quote-unquote business hours. They need to be able to receive that care when they have an urgent need. 
this care has to be interprofessional. There's no one discipline that can actually provide the kind of holistic care that any one person needs. We have to have more medical and social integration. You know, there's been so much more conversation, thankfully, around social determinants of health. We need to apply that into the way we provide care. And then finally, as we sort of talked about from the beginning, there has to be this overriding data-driven care coordination infrastructure so that there can be conversations occurring in real time so that people get what they need at the ready. Okay, that's a really uh, succinct uh, uh, description. I love how you did that. Um, Now, it would be hard, I think, for anyone to argue with the validity or importance of any of those. They sound like as any patient uh, would sort of go, okay, that's the care I would like. Um, What I hope we could do for the next few minutes is just focus on a couple of those principles. I don't want to walk through all seven of them. And, And I'm wondering if you can help me understand, like, why is it we don't have them in place now, or what would it take to get from here to there? And let's just start with attention to caregivers. That seems so critical. We've published many papers in health affairs uh, about the critical role that family and other caregivers uh, play in in people's health. It would just seem sort of obvious that they should be part of the care team. So I get why it's one of your principles. Can you help me understand why we aren't, uh, why that principle doesn't uh, appear in the healthcare system of today and what it might take to make it uh, a principle of the future? I think we aspire to include caregivers into our healthcare system now, and yet we don't have really any of the infrastructure to do it well. We have maybe one place in the chart where if you look hard, you might find some somebody's name and somebody's phone number. But beyond that, we don't really know about their relationships, the nature of their relationships, what actually caregiving means to the relationship, how much support they do or don't need. We don't know when someone goes home, whether or not they're going home to someone who is supposed to care for them, who's five feet one and weighs 95 pounds, or who is a strapping, you know, six foot three person and 280 won't have any trouble supporting them at home. So we really need to be thinking about caregivers and our sort of care partner team as a part of the healthcare team, because we certainly rely on them a lot. Every time we send somebody home from the hospital, we are relying on their care partners, but we do very little to guide them, provide them anticipatory guidance, or instruct them. Let me uh, ask you that about another one, because that that made a lot of sense to me. You said people need 24-hour access to care. Earlier on, you described the hospital as sort of an emergency room and place for surgery and the like. Some of those other services, though, if they're in the home, it's hard for me to see how there can be continuous access. So so how does continuous access to care work in the real world? You know, there are increasingly wonderful models of community paramedicine, mobile integrated healthcare teams that are there essentially providing reverse care. Rather than having an ambulance take someone to the hospital, we have uh paramedics coming into the home, really assessing what's going on and able to provide important care through telehealth, maybe with another provider in the emergency department and preventing that long trip to the hospital, the long wait in the emergency department, sometimes days in observation status. And so the idea that we can 
reverse that support so that people are getting that care when they need it, not just eight to five, but you know, I'm sure you've seen this. Most people don't have their emergencies at convenient times. They usually occur, you know, Friday night at 9 p.m. after all the urgent care centers have closed. We want people to have continuous access so they actually can get the care they want when they need it at the right time and oftentimes in a way that frankly saves the system money and saves them a lot of heartache. Well, I want to understand a little bit more about uh, the model and turn our attention to what it'll take to actually create it. We'll do that after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Christine Ritchie about reimagining home-based care. Before the break, we were talking about some of the principles of a new ecosystem. We had covered two of the seven that you laid out. We talked about caregivers and continuous access. Just like to pick up one more of them before we talk a little more specifically about how to make this happen. You mentioned data-driven care coordination. Uh, again, this seems like something everyone in healthcare is talking about. Uh, what's in particular did you have in mind as you built out this principle uh, in your paper? Well, what we see a lot in the home and as we transfer people from various settings of care to the other is that the, the approaches that we're using for transferring information remain arcane. Oftentimes, we're barely providing enough information from one setting to the other to even give them the right information about what medications the person is on or what kind of preferences they have about various parts of their treatment. And we really need to have a system of care where the data that's shared is occurring in real time. It's coordinated. There's clarity about who should be getting handoffs. The right person is getting that information both in the form of warm and potentially asynchronous handoffs, and that everybody has the information that they need to provide the best care possible. You know, you've probably seen that it's not uncommon, for example, for not only is there sort of fragmented, uncoordinated provision of data across different settings, but oftentimes there's duplication where we have multiple care managers or healthcare navigators involved in the patient's care, each employed by different people with different data. The data doesn't talk to each other. People don't know that the person has received this service because they haven't communicated to the other service. And this happens particularly in the home where you have skilled home healthcare and you might have physical therapy coming through skilled home healthcare, and then you might have hospital at home or home-based primary care, all with different electronic medical record systems, with different data systems, and often with very little true communication. So for this to work, for us to actually have real-time sort of interchanging services provided in that sort of vision of a, of a symphony, of a concert where everybody knows their part, everybody has to have the same line of music they have to have the same data. I feel like I'm getting a pretty good picture of the vision. One thought that comes to mind is that everyone references that COVID was sort of a stress test on the healthcare system. And as I think about the ecosystem you've described here, COVID gave us, on the one hand, an opportunity to test more things in the home and community because people weren't going to the hospital for a good reason. But it also was probably a way to show up 
some of the gaps between how the system exists today and what a functional ecosystem would be, because as people stayed home, maybe they didn't get the kind of coordinated continuous care they need. So I wonder if you could reflect on what you observed as COVID hit uh, to give you a sense of whether some of the elements of this vision are in place or were strengthened because of the pandemic, or if it really pointed out some weaknesses that you went, wow, you know, I thought we were doing a little better here, but it's pretty clear we're not. I don't know. Just how did COVID affect your sense of our, uh, how close we are to the vision you've set forth? You know, Alan, COVID served as the inspiration for a lot of what is in this commentary. And we looked around and we saw in places like here in Boston and in New York, hospitals, frankly, just becoming intensive care units and emergency departments, right? Most of the rest of the care was not being provided in the hospital. Surgeries were canceled. We also saw a regulatory relaxation of, of various measures that allowed for more provision of services in the home. We had both the hospital without walls, a CMS uh program. And then we also had the hospital at home waiver. And it also showed that when people have the right support from, from both a policy and reimbursement perspective, healthcare systems can pivot pretty quickly. So in the span of just 14 months of the waiver, the hospital at home waiver being activated, there were 197 hospitals in 90 different health systems in 34 different states that had all received the waiver. We also saw a lot of increase in virtual care, of course, and a lot of telemedicine. And a lot of that, I think, was incredibly positive. Now, a few negatives is that for people who didn't have access to video, video conferencing in their home, who didn't have internet access, which we do know a lot of homebound older adults are more prone to not have access to those kind of resources, then it just exacerbated the disparities, ex exacerbated the gaps. And we also saw that once the public health emergency uh, was no longer in effect, people started going back to what they're comfortable with, back to our old habits, our old ways, and to things that frankly take us more into a facility-centric space. So I do think we learned some things. I think we learned that we can pivot. I think that with the right kind of support and reimbursement and innovation, we can be thinking differently about care, especially care without walls, and old habits die hard. Uh, two really great lessons. You know, as I listened to the vision, uh, you wrote this from the perspective of geriatrics. This sounds like a care system that could sort of work for anyone. Um, are there aspects of this that you think are particular to older people or are there aspects that you think uh, should be translated to everyone? I'm just, I'm just curious, or were you just sort of focused where you focus? We really believe that the, the, the ecosystem we're describing should ultimately be available to everyone. The places where sort of the need is the greatest are among those who have mobility limitations. They don't have to be older. Certainly, there are many people who are younger who are on ventilators at home or who, who need special assistance at home. So ultimately, I think we have the potential for this kind of home-centered approach across the board. And if you look at other countries, France and Australia, they've been doing this type of care far more than we are, and they are actually building fewer hospitals. So this doesn't have to be simply focused on older adults. 
the focus on older adults is because it's for a certain subpopulation of older adults, the most obvious that this kind of care makes the most sense. As I saw your paper, and it's focused on home and community, it was uh, around the same time that the National Academy of Medicine came out with a report on nursing home care. And uh, I thought that report was really interesting and important as well. And I thought, well, wait a minute, Uh, should we be focusing on improving nursing home care or should we be thinking about home and community care? Uh, And I'm sure at some level the answer is both, but I am curious about your reflections on the relative contribution of a report like that and a focus of a report like that and your own focus on home and community. I agree with you, Alan. They are both incredibly important, and they are, in some respects, two sides of the same coin. That report showed some of the same deficits, actually, that reports back in the 70s and 80s showed, you know, that our culture of care, especially our culture of care for older adults, has not changed substantively. And so a long-term care delivery ecosystem, whether it's based in the home or, frankly, what I think in nursing homes should be more of a home-like setting, that's really anchored in caregiver and resident satisfaction, which is what a lot of that report advocates, really has to be the future of all long-term care, whether that long-term care is in an institutional setting or in more of a, of a home setting. What it also points out, that report, is that we're frankly a country that does not have a long-term care strategy whether it's in the home or in the long-term care setting. We don't have across-the-board long-term care insurance that supports people either at home or in institutions. And so to me, this is a call to action across the board to think about how do we make sure that all of us have the safety net of support when we need it, when we're in that place, either at the home or in nursing homes, so that we get the best possible high-quality person-centered care we can. Yeah, that last comment is uh, feels really important to me. We're, of course, a policy journal, and the absence of a comprehensive approach to long-term services and supports underlies both the weaknesses of our current home and community-based system as well as the weaknesses of the nursing home system. So as we bring our conversation towards the end, I am curious what you think the key levers are that would motivate movement in the direction of this vision that you've put forth? You described some steps taken in COVID. I'm curious what you think would be required to make some of the positive steps you described more lasting, as well as the weaknesses that it uncovered, what it would take to try to reverse some of those weaknesses. I think we need to have a lot more flexibility in the way we provide care for people such that it really is the kind of care that they need. Theoretically, Medicare Advantage and Medicare Shared Savings Plan, has that, they have that potential because they can facilitate a kind of flexibility that's really focused on population needs and that is focused on optimizing the most efficient, cost-effective care wherever possible. And we've also seen Medicaid-managed care programs sort of begin to develop and test these scalable models that integrate medical and social care to support frail older adults. But for these programs to really work, the savings have to be funneled back into coordinated person-centered care and not into corporate revenues and shareholders' pockets. And I worry that 
right now, that may be part of what we're seeing and why we're not seeing the same kind of sort of return on investment that we'd all hope for with these value-based programs. I also do think we need to incentivize upskilling and uh, improving sort of people's knowledge around high-quality care of both older adults and people who are living at home and in long-term care facilities. As you know, our training programs tend to de-emphasize that kind of care and emphasize hospital-based care. And we need to think about how we can truly create the kind of quality measures that attend to what is important to the person living with that serious illness or that important chronic condition along with the experience of their care partners. Those are really helpful uh, directions for us to go. Maybe you meant this in the middle of the the second of those three parts, but I want to close out with a question as for you as a clinician. We can always talk, and we certainly do in healthcare affairs, about financing and financial models. Some of these uh, elements sound more cultural to me. Respect for the care team, respect for the caregivers at home, truly embracing interdisciplinary care, uh, the health sector acknowledging the value of the social care. I get that there are financial ties or financial um, elements to all of those, but they're also really about culture and, and training. So I just wonder, as we close out, if you could speak more as a clinician about whether you think this vision that uh, is attainable or what training is needed or what other elements are needed for uh, the medical profession to contribute to the cultural aspects of what uh, is reflected here. I appreciate you asking that question. I do think we spend a lot of time focusing in healthcare on important knowledge and skills with perhaps less of a focus on our attitudes, our attention to empathy and empathic understanding of another person's lived experience, less attention to our inherent biases, including our our ageism, which is so prevalent in our country. These are things we're going to have to attend to to change this culture. These are the sort of issues that are often subterranean that we need to bring to the surface so that we can provide that best kind of care that we all want when we need it. Well, Dr. Ritchie, thank you for writing the paper, for laying out a vision that I have to say is one that has such intuitive appeal, but also has enough depth and heart to it that I think we'll know it when we see it, and and it's something to aspire to. Uh, The timing, as we mentioned, in conjunction with the National Academy's report on nursing home care, does sort of bring together two sides of the coin, as you described, to have a more complete vision of what long-term care could look like in this country. Uh, Thank you so much for being my guest today on A Health Policy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. 
Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.